Trigger warning. This podcast may contain themes of suicide, violence, and drug use. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to Tia and Rio attempt to save themselves and the world. Episode 1, Part 2 of Gods and Monsters. Previously on Tia and Rio attempt to save themselves and the world, we meet Titiana Tia Johnson and Rose Rio Smith and find them in a state of overwhelming despair. When they realize they are making a mistake in their planned suicidal actions, something unexplainable happens and the two find themselves in a dreamy but artificial world. Once back in their present realities, Tia is now seeing things that her best friend Kiki cannot, and Rio is concerned she's become part of the film They Live, as certain people look like they belong in creature features. Meanwhile, Kiki is keeping a secret and the lives of these two women are about to get far more complicated. At noon on this same day, Rio stands outside of Hugh's Music and Collectibles, patiently waiting for Hugh to open the store. Hugh's Music Store is a rather small shop, but once you get inside, there is something to check out in every corner. Hugh had bought the space for his store a little over five years ago. The previous owners of the space had used it as a video rental store, and the way the rows are lined up inside, it still feels reminiscent of the VHS rental days. Most of the store can be seen clearly from the windows outside. Rio notices the lack of summer decor and decides she'll work on that today, even if Hugh doesn't need her to work. She takes as much pride in Hugh's music and collectibles as Hugh does. Whether he knew that or not, she did not know. Against the back wall is a locked cabinet where collectibles sit on display. Mostly, there are hard-to-find vinyls and a few signed CDs, books, and DVDs. Anything related to music that is beyond what you'd find at your local department stores are added to the collectibles. There is a jukebox in the back of the store, mainly hidden from the outside by the four large rows of CDs and vinyls on display. The front counter is off to the left immediately upon entering, with ever-changing posters and albums lining the featured section in front of the cash register and hanging up on the walls. The walls are painted a red brick color, and the store itself has a very nostalgic vibe, catering to consumers young and old. Rio is laughing to herself thinking about how many times Hugh gets asked about the jukebox, and how often Hugh gets into heated altercations about how it's not for sale, when, as if on cue, Hugh unlocks the front door. Seeing Rio standing outside, waiting to get in, makes Hugh smile. He holds the door open for her, and as she's walking in, he flips the close sign on the door to open. Hey, Hugh. Hi, Rose. Aren't you off today? Hugh pockets his keys and goes to the cash register. Rio walks over to where Hugh's at. Rio shrugs. Yeah, but I figured I could decorate the store, give it that summer makeover our customers love so much. Hugh looks over at a paper near the cash register, then scoffs. Ah, you saw Darren was working today. I'm glad I'm not the only one who notices he never shows up anymore. I should probably fire him. He remarks in his usual serious tone. Well, no need to today. I'll cover for him. I could use the hours, Rio says, moving so she's right next to Hugh. (laughs) If only all employees were more like you, Hugh says before his expression turns serious again. Rose, have you been alright? I know it's none of my business, but you haven't been acting like... I don't know. It's just, you usually seem really happy, and, well, I like when you're happy, too. You really liven this place up. 
Hugh immediately clears his throat and looks down at the floor. Rio's heart starts beating faster. He really notices me, she thinks. Hugh is one of the only people that still calls her Rose, and she thinks it's sweet. She would never correct him or tell him otherwise. Slightly thrown off by the question, she remains silent, yet thoughtful. Her heart's still pounding like crazy. She watches as Hugh slowly begins to retreat to the back of the store, where his office is located. Anita moved out, Rio replies, making Hugh stop and turn around. It was kind of a sudden thing. I came home one day. I thought we had been robbed. Turns out just her asshole boyfriend Tony took all her stuff to his place. And I'm learning that. Rio takes a pause. She's such an open book, and sometimes she worries she says too much. She sees Hugh waiting to hear what she has to say, and decides it's okay to just spill with him. I'm learning that I don't... I'm learning that I don't like being alone. Or I guess, living alone. It kinda sucks. She tells him. Hugh straightens himself and moves closer to her. I've been living alone for a long time now. It's a weird thing at first, but I promise it gets easier. Rio nods. Thanks. That's good news. She takes another step closer to him. Hugh gets a goofy grin on his face. <laughs> what? Rio asks. Not to overstep any boundaries, but if you ever feel really down, you know you can always call me, right? Rio smiles. I do now. Thank you, Hugh. That means a lot. Hugh's goofy grin returns before it shifts into a warm smile. He picks up the papers he'd set down and heads back to his office. As soon as Rio hears his door shut, she lets out a whoosh of air she'd been keeping in. As far as bosses go, Hugh tends to be lean on the chill side, one of the many reasons she likes him so much. But hearing him say that his door is always open, so to speak, meant more to her than she could express in words. The rest of the afternoon, she sets up summertime decorations while jamming out to a fun 80s playlist. This is the time of year when she proudly sets up her summertime must-have records, which includes a few Beach Boy albums like Endless Summer, Prince's Purple Rain, Lana Del Rey's Born to Die, and of course, featured prominently for all to see, Rio's favorite summer album of all time, Duran Duran's Rio. Just looking at the 80s artwork puts Rio in a much more chipper mood. While Rio is finishing up, a middle-aged woman and her teenage daughter walk in. Hi there, welcome to Hughes. Please let me know if you need help finding anything, she politely states, then goes back to blowing air into the last few beach balls she has by the front window. The two don't look around for long. At the register, they have a handful of CDs. Rio makes small talk while she checks them out, attempting to not go overboard with her excitement at the woman's choice of albums, which are all from the 70s and 80s. With a beaming smile on her face, she rings up the last CD, a copy of Donovan's Greatest Hits. While she's bagging up the CDs, Donovan's face, that's so prominently displayed on the album cover, winks up at Rio. <gasps> Rio lets out a gasp. Both of the women look at her with confused expressions. Sorry, I, uh, I thought I had rung them up wrong, but it's all good. You got the sale price, and you're all set. Have a great night. Rio sputters out, trying to regain her composure. I'm really losing my mind. First I was in bed with Simon Le Bon, and now album covers are winking at me. Once both customers leave, Rio does her last sweep of the night, straightening up the shelves, leaving minimal white space between products. 
She hears the bell on the door ding and says her usual greeting. When she looks to see the customer, the hair on the back of her neck goes up, her body instantly tense. Whoever the customer is says hello in return and starts browsing the shelves. Rio watches in terror. This customer doesn't appear to be human at all. He looks like something out of a horror movie. His body looks human. Human arms, legs, jeans, t-shirt, all that checked out. But his face, it was long and red. His eyes had no pupils. They were black holes filled with shadows. His mouth twisted in a snarl that made him look like he was permanently laughing. Rio runs backwards, just missing the collectibles cabinet. She barges into Hugh's office and closes and locks the door behind her. Hugh stands up and goes over to Rio, concerned. Rose, what's wrong? What happened? Breathing hard, Rio continues to face the door, waiting for impending doom. She hasn't heard a word Hugh has said. Hugh stands next to her, gently tugging at her shoulder. Hey, does this person have a weapon? Are they armed? He asks her. I don't know. I've never seen anything like him before. Did he hurt you? Hugh asks, his anger growing. No, I'm fine. I, I just... Before Rio can finish her thought, Hugh unlocks the door and storms out. Scared and worried, Rio follows him. The same scary-looking guy is perusing the heavy metal section. Rio grips the back of Hugh's shirt. He feels this, then confronts the man. Hey, is everything all right here? The creature-like man glares at Hugh. Yes, I'm finding everything I need. Thank you. Hugh turns to look at Rio and sees her staring wide-eyed at the man. Rose, enjoying heavy metal isn't a crime, he teases, not understanding why she's so scared. What does he look like to you? You don't see? Her voice trails off, seeing the concerned look Hugh's giving her. What do you mean, what does he look like? He looks like the type of guy who loves metal and drinking beer. Did he say something to you? Try to touch you? Hugh glances over at the guy, then back at Rio. Rio shakes her head. No, I'm fine. I mean, he doesn't look horrible at all to you? Like, he's not in the best cosplay I've ever seen? Or some kind of mask? Hugh narrows his eyes, trying hard not to laugh. He's clearly confused and thinks Rio is messing with him. Rose, a lot of the characters we get in here look horrible. It's more of a, I think they gave up trying kind of look, more so than dressing as a character, Hugh remarks. What character is this guy supposed to be anyway? I haven't done laundry in a month, ma'am? Hugh asks with a teasing grin, hoping to calm a still distraught looking Rio. Rio forces a smile. <laughs> well, don't mind me. I'm just losing my mind. Follow me, Hugh says, moving to the back of the store, out of sight of the heavy metal man. Rio is grateful to be away from the customer as she goes over to Hugh. Her mind is reeling. Why does that man look like that? Why can't Hugh see it? Are you okay? Rose, if there's something wrong, you can talk to me. That man, he doesn't look odd to you. Like, his skin isn't red when you look at him. Hugh shakes his head. Rose, I'm starting to get worried. You seemed horrified when you came into my office. I better come up with something good. I can't tell my boss and biggest crush ever that some people are starting to look like... monsters. I'll end up in the loony bin for sure. Caffeine, Rio says. I had some caffeine this afternoon, and it makes me super jumpy. Yep, that's what it is. Hugh crosses his arms, still studying her. You know, 
You seem caffeinated enough. You probably shouldn't have caffeine. Rio nods. So I'm learning. Hugh starts to say something but stops himself. He takes two steps towards Rio, and before she can react, he hugs her. His hug is warm, inviting, and in this moment, she feels her stomach and heart flutter at the same time. She hugs him back, her head buried underneath his chin. She can detect a light aftershave scent on him, causing her heart to beat faster. When the hug ends, Hugh says, Why don't you hang out in my office for a second while I cash this guy out? Rio obliges by going to Hugh's office and getting comfortable in the chair across from his. There are papers all over Hugh's desk. It's the only part of the room that isn't perfectly neat and labeled. Most of the papers look technical, though an old newspaper clipping stands out to Rio. From where she's sitting, it looks like an obituary. She's about to move in closer to see when she feels her phone vibrate. It's Anita, and it reads, Are you at work? Rio replies, Yes, and that's immediately followed up with Anita texting back, Want to ride home? I miss you. Rio hearts the message and texts back, Yes, please. Minutes later, when Hugh comes back to the office, he grabs Rio a water from his mini-fridge in the corner. You doing all right? He asks. Rio nods. Yeah, Anita's picking me up soon. It's a nice night. Want me to wait outside with you? We could both probably use the fresh air. Hugh and Rio sit side by side on the sidewalk in front of Hugh's store. Hugh keeps looking over at Rio, clearly wanting to say something, but each time, he stops right before he speaks. Rio doesn't notice. She can't stop thinking about her day. The way it started with her at the tracks, the strange but awesome dream with her favorite singer, the weird-looking people on TV, and then the horrific-looking man in the store. It all didn't seem real. Suddenly, Rio panics, afraid she died on the tracks. Feeling on edge and bold at the same time, Rio turns to Hugh. They sit close together, their legs gently resting on one another's. Hugh and Rio stare at each other before Rio goes in for a kiss. It's a quick peck on the lips that lingers for a few seconds. Rio starts to move away, seeing the stunned look on Hugh's face. I- I'm sorry. I don't know what came over me, she tells him, moving further away. Hugh leans forward, getting closer to Rio. Don't be sorry, he says, as he pulls Rio towards him, this time kissing her. She returns his passionate kiss, the heat between them becoming more intense by each passing moment. Just as they're about to have a full-on makeout session in the front of the store, Anita pulls up in the mint green Thunderbird, playfully honking the car's horn. Hugh clears his throat and gets up, holding out his hand to help Rio up off the sidewalk. Rio starts heading over to Anita, but only makes it a few steps before spinning around and embracing Hugh. Today was real, right? Rio asks, her voice worried. Hugh gazes down at her. Of course it was. Remember what I said. If you need me, call me. Rio nods and smiles up at Hugh. I will. Thank you, Hugh. The instant Rio gets into the car, Anita asks, What was that all about? I didn't know you had a thing for your boss. The two women laugh, Rio relieved to just be near Anita. I was actually going to talk to you about that. I've had a crush on him for a long time. It makes sense, even if he's a little young for you. Anita teases. Rio giggles. And I think he likes you too. 
I saw the way he looked at you. My dear Rio, love is in the air. Rio blushes. <laughs> yeah, right. After today, he probably thinks I'm nuts. He's probably not wrong, either. Anita starts to drive, glancing over at Rio from time to time. <laughs> oh, hush. If he's a smart man, then he knows crazy women are the best in bed. Both women crack up, enjoying each other's company and fun conversation. God, Anita. I miss you so much. Home just doesn't feel like home without you. I know I'm an adult and should be fine on my own, but I really miss living together, Rio confesses. There is silence in the car. Rio looks over and sees that Anita appears frozen. Her mouth is slightly open, as if she was just about to say something, her hands and eyes motionless. The car isn't moving, nor is anything else around her. Anita? Rio snaps her fingers at Anita, as if maybe she was in a trance. Anita? Nothing. Outside of the car, everything is still. All cars appear halted, and she even sees a bird frozen in mid-flight. Suddenly, Rio hears a loud mechanical noise, as if the car is breaking down. As she looks around to see what could be causing such a racket, Rio's passenger side seat begins to cave in, causing Rio to sink into it. Her legs curl up and smack her face, her body being forced to bend. The sound of metal crunching and grinding fills the car, nearly drowning out Rio's screams. She tries to hold onto the door and pull herself up, tries to straighten her legs and climb away from the dark hole below her that's becoming bigger and more forceful with each passing second. She screams for Anita to help her, but it's no use. Anita remains frozen as half the car seems to disappear. The seat falls into the black abyss, instantly out of sight. Rio's fingernails scrape and break as they claw the passenger side door, clinging on for dear life, but the pull from the darkness below is too powerful. She screams again, her sound muted by the void that eagerly swallows her whole. Rio's silent screams rapidly become heard and echo around her as she falls. After what seems like an eternity, she lands with a loud thud on an outdated couch. Rio looks up and sees nothing. She is surrounded by darkness. As her eyes adjust to the pitch black surroundings, she sees an old TV a few feet in front of her. Still breathing heavily, she stumbles off the couch. The second she's off the furniture, the TV turns itself on and begins playing an old 80s music video. She swallows hard, then notices that a neon light is flickering to the right of the TV. This light is on a neon sign in the shape of an arrow, and the arrow is pointing to the right. It continues to blink, and since Rio does not understand where she is or how she got there, she hesitantly follows the only visible light. This arrow gives way to another arrow, and soon Rio is in a dark maze of nothingness and neon lights. After what feels like hours going around this odd maze, she begins seeing more light and hearing music. The last arrow is on the floor, pointing below. Rio sees the stairs and realizes that that's where the music is coming from. Rio glances around, but from what she can tell, there is no other option than to go down, so she follows the arrow. At the bottom of the large flight of stairs, the maze continues, only this time, it seems stranger and even more unbearable. Instead of black walls with the occasional neon arrow, she is now surrounded by tall walls filled with thousands of old TVs 
that are all playing different 80s music videos. The TVs blare on both sides of her, making it hard for her to move through the chaos. A total sensory overload. Her eyes and ears struggle to maintain sanity, and she finally begins to cry out. She covers her ears as best she can, but it doesn't help. The TVs are booming so loudly that the floor vibrates like a constant earthquake. Just when she thought she couldn't take any more of this, she notices something far more frightening. A tall man stands completely still, just two feet in front of her. He looks sickly, his skin gray, the cheeks on his face sunken in, his eyes red. Besides his freaky appearance, the scariest matter is the fact that he is staring right at Rio, his eyes unblinking. Rio freezes, afraid to move. Finally, she carefully takes a step back. Doing so causes the man to open his mouth, where a large chunk of foam spills out onto his chin and drips onto his shirt. Rio thinks he's rabid and doesn't want to call any more attention to herself. Her heart in her throat, she takes one more step back and then runs like hell. The music continues to blare so much that her ears start bleeding. She sneaks a quick glance behind her and cries out in horror when she sees the man is chasing after her. His eyes red and bulging, his mouth twisted in an angry snarl. Rio bolts as fast as she can, terrified if she makes a wrong turn in the maze that she'll be torn apart by this insane man. When she gets to what appears to be a dead end, she slams her body against the wall of TVs, hoping to knock them down. She's petrified. She looks the wall over and notices there's one TV slot randomly empty and open at the bottom, and she dives in. The man grabs her leg, and she screams, kicking at him as hard as she can. The TVs above her begin to shake. She hears the unsteady wall start to cave, and watches as the TVs that had just been above her fall back and land on the crazed man. As more and more TVs crash down, she hears hissing. She figures it's just the TVs breaking that's creating the additional sound growing louder than the music. She is wrong. A few inches from where the man was pummeled by the TVs stand a good dozen more people staring intently at Rio with furious faces. All of them have the same gray skin, red eyes, and foamy mouths. This time, Rio does not hesitate to bolt. She runs in the darkness. The only sound following her is the hissing and screeching of the monster-like humans, which she assumes are trying to kill her. The darkness quickly gives way to a room. A room with a little neon light, a room with a door. Rio pounds it shut just in time. She hears the monster's people banging and clawing at the door, ready to unleash their rage onto her. She looks up and discovers that the neon lights she first saw are acting as tiny frames around three different photos on the wall. To her left is a picture of the Thompson twins surrounded by a blue neon frame. To her right is a picture of the Bangles surrounded by a pink neon frame. And directly in front of her, in the middle of the other two pictures, is a picture of Duran Duran with a purple neon light around it. She studies these pictures for a short while confused by what this place is and why she's here. She glances around for any clues and doesn't get far when she notices the white note card beneath her feet. It reads, choose. The pounding at the door gets louder. Rio stares at the three photos in front of her and assuming that one of them is what she's supposed to choose, 
She puts her hand on the picture of Duran Duran. The floor opens up below her and gives her no time to react. Rio plunges into darkness again. She screams and doesn't stop screaming until she lands on a nice, comfy bed. Her reprieve is short-lived. As soon as she realizes she's on a bed, the sheets begin to transform into a white, sticky goo. The more Rio struggles, the thicker the goo becomes, wrapping her up and pinning her onto the bed. She's gearing up to shout, the fear overwhelming, but her breath gets caught in her throat when she sees the terrifying sight above her. An enormous spider, the size of a small car, is perched in the corner of the room. But this isn't a normal spider. Besides its massive size, its head is human. Help! She cries out, her arms and body fighting hard against the white sticky goo, which she now understands isn't goo at all, but a giant spider web. The enormous spider moves an inch closer to her, and she shrieks in terror. The panic grips her, her heart now fully caught in her throat, making it difficult to breathe. She forces herself to get a good look at the spider, and it dawns on her that she's very familiar with these horrific images. The spider's head is identical to Robert Smith's, and this very scene she's being forced to play out is just like The Cure's music video for their song, Lullaby. She pants, doing her best to catch her breath as she attempts to calm down. If this giant spider wants to get her, she knows she's trapped. She doesn't have the ability to move, run, or even attempt to defend herself. The spider's head turns to look across the room, and Rio slowly follows its gaze. She sees a figure approaching the bed. Tears begin forming as she pushes against the spider web surrounding her. It's no use. The figure is beside her now. At first glance, she believes she's looking at Robert Smith, though without the additional six legs attached. Its face is a ghostly white and is rocking Robert Smith's infamous red lipstick, but once it's close enough for Rio to get a good look, her eyes go wide. It may be Robert Smith's makeup, but this figure before her is Simon Le Bon. <laughs> Miss me, love? He asks, his smile toothy and unnatural. You're not really Simon, are you? She asks, studying him. Yes and no, he replies, his smile never fading. But you're asking all the wrong questions. Who gives a fuck what I look like? You're starting to see people for who they really are, aren't you? At first, Rio has no clue what this Simon the Bond lookalike is talking about. But then she thinks back to the C-SPAN channel and the frightening-looking man at the store. The figure posing as Simon nods, seemingly reading her mind. Why is this happening? Am I dead? Is this hell? The figure laughs. Finally, those are some great questions. Yes, this is hell, my dear, and we wish you the warmest of welcomes. You are not dead, which is a huge disappointment. I asked you to join me earlier and yet you still walk with the living. If I had feelings, they would be very hurt. The figure leans in, his face changing right before her eyes from Simon to something unknown to the human eyes. The closest thing imaginable is that of an eye-eye, a type of lemur whose ears look oily and mammoth compared to its small face. The figure's eyes glow red as their snout flares heavily in Rio's face. Why is this happening to you? <laughs> this one always gets me. 
Everyone always asks, why me? What did I do wrong? The figure snarls as it laughs, smoke coming out of its enormous ears. Don't you know what day it is? What month it is? What time of the morning you wanted to die? Rio watches this creature, mortified and afraid to speak. A twisted grin forms, showing off multiple rows of teeth. Fine, I'll spell it out for you. I always do. It's the sixth month, the sixth day, and you wanted to die at the start of the sixth hour. I think we both know whose favorite number that is. Rio shakes her head, now fully grasping this horrifying situation. Wait, what? What does this mean? Am I going to be sacrificed? The creature lets out a hot breath, smoke invading Rio's face. Its breath is so hot that some of the webbing holding Rio down starts to melt, burning any exposed skin. Rio tries hard to hold back her cries, her body trembling. <laughs> no, we're not going to sacrifice you. That's your job. Because if you kill yourself soon, we'll have mercy on you. We'll let you be on our side. We'll let you keep your newfound powers. We'll let you be with Simon any time you want. You just have to finish what you started. Rio thinks about how happy she was just to see Anita. Her face turns a deeper color of red when she thinks back to her kiss with Hugh, and the thought of the two of them together plays out in her head. She realizes that she doesn't want to die. She wants to live. She wants to know what's next for her and Hugh, and she wants to make Anita proud of her, since Anita is the mother she always wanted and needed. I don't know if I can, Rio confesses. I'm not even 30 yet. As if in response to her answer, flames erupt around her. Still trapped on a spiderweb-infested bed, Rio screams. Please, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be a bad person. The creature scoffs at her, causing some of the oil from its ear to spray onto Rio. That also burns her flesh, making her cry out again. That's just it, Rose. You are a good person. Flawed and full of lust, sure. But you have what we need. And we could give you everything. You just have to give in to the temptation. Death is a great thing. Because believe me, if you don't end your life, you'll see all the many things you have in store Rio is suddenly back in the passenger seat of Anita's car. She screams, examining where she should have third-degree burns, but all she sees is her pale, normal skin. What is it? What's wrong? Anita hollers, quickly pulling over to get off the road. Rio peers over at Anita, not knowing what to say or how to put what she just experienced into words. I'm sorry, I thought I saw something. I think I need a drink. But you don't like to drink, Anita responds. I do now, Rio replies. Okay, sure, Anita says calmly, gazing over at Rio from time to time. The two stop at their local wines and spirits, and while they are deciding on the right drink to get fucked up on, Rio recalls having sex with the figure posing as Simon Le Bon. It all felt so real. The tender caresses the back-to-back -back orgasms. Then she takes into account that she has no idea who or what she actually had sex with. Rio gags. Oh my god, 
Are you all right? Are you going to be sick? Anita asks, rushing to Rio's side. No, Rio says with another gag, making Anita feel her forehead to see if she's feverish. Please, don't worry about me, Rio pleads. I'm going to be fine. Everything will be fine, right? Rio thinks, grabbing a giant bottle of coconut rum and making her way up to the counter, repeating over and over again that everything will be fine. The clouds still looming in the sky, Tia picks up her pace as she heads towards the cemetery where her mother is buried. It's not too far from where she lives, but if rain is coming, there isn't a lot of cover anywhere on this walk. The closer she gets to the cemetery, the greener the grass gets. It's around 5 p.m., the sun still trying hard to break through all the clouds. Once Tia makes it further into the cemetery, she's taken aback by the sheer amount of people roaming around. A lot of the people look older, and some are wearing clothing so outdated, she begins to wonder if she's interrupting some sort of live reenactment. Taking fast strides, she hurriedly makes her way over to her mother's grave. As she's sitting down in front of the fresh grave, a young girl peeks out from behind a large tombstone a few spots down. When Tia sees her, the little girl giggles, <laughs> then hides behind the tomb again. Tia feels like crying, wanting to talk to her mother. She fights back hard against the tears forming. She doesn't want the playful child to see her upset, even if they are at a cemetery. After a few minutes, Tia assumes the girl has gone back to wherever her family must be. That is, until she hears the same giggle right behind her. <laughs> Tia jumps, the girl somehow now in back of her, laughing harder when she sees Tia's reaction. <laughs> I really scared you, didn't I? The little girl asks. Tia can't help but give this child a once-over glance. The dress she's wearing is a light baby blue, and she notices the girl is carrying a small star wand. Tia forces a small laugh. <laughs> yes, you did. Tia sits up and searches to see if any of the adults appear to be looking for their daughter. Where are your parents? Tia asks her, concerned why the girl is all by herself in a cemetery. The little girl shrugs. Sometimes they come here. My mommy visits me more than my daddy. My mommy always looks sad, like how you look. Tia's confused by this answer. What do you mean they visit you? Do you live around here? The little girl giggles again. <laughs> yes, I live here. Want me to show you? Intrigued and concerned, Tia nods. The little girl eagerly races several rows away from Mrs. Johnson's grave before she stops in front of a small grave. Tia immediately notices there is a big star, just like the star on the girl's wand, inscribed on the grave. Tia's stomach churns, her legs weak. The little girl waits patiently for Tia to catch up. The inscription on the grave reads, Ava Turner, beloved daughter who will always shine like a star, born August 11, 2007, died November 15, 2013. Tia's eyes well up. And this time, she lets herself feel the sadness. Are you Ava Turner? Tia asks the little girl. The child nods. I'm happy you see me. Mommy and Daddy never want to play. They never see me. I play hide and seek, but they don't ever find me. 
Why can I see you? Tia asks, bewildered. The girl tries to pick up a dandelion, but her fingers go right through it. I don't know. Why are you sad? People here are always so sad. Tia develops goosebumps all over her body. The more she perceives around her, the scarier her world becomes. She can't believe she missed such obvious signs on her way in. She's so far into the cemetery, the entrance seems like it's miles away. Almost every person around her has a sheerness about them, as if they aren't all there. I'm surrounded by ghosts. Nah, that can't be. Ghosts don't even exist. Tia backs up slowly, away from Ava. As much as she wanted to talk to her mother, she can't fathom staying in this place for a moment longer. She wants to scream, but she's terrified that any distinct noise will get the attention of all the ghosts present. But they're not real. Shit. Am I dead too? Aren't you gonna play with me? Ava asks her, her lips forming a small pout. Ugh, I'm sorry, I have to go. Tia says, right before making a run for the cemetery's entrance. Tia races, her legs moving faster than she knew was possible. There's a large man in a suit and tie who walks right in front of her, and she cries out, anticipating crashing into him and getting cussed out. Instead, she goes right through him. She hears him call out, Hey, watch where you're going! Tia yells back, Sorry! Before hightailing it out of there and jogging most of the way home. By the time she gets back to her house, she's completely out of breath and super sweaty. She decides to get a shower and clear her head. Reluctantly, she heads upstairs. Kiki. Tia calls out. No answer. Huh. She must have gone to get her things. Tia goes to check her phone and sees a text confirming exactly what she thought. Great. Now I can get cleaned up and hopefully back to normal before she comes back. Tia thinks to herself. How do you tell your best friend you've gone completely insane? Or maybe I'm dead. And this is all some sort of cruel nightmare. Mm-hmm. Dead. As she turns the water on to warm up the shower before getting in, she looks over at the spot in front of the toilet. She remembers the day so vividly. She remembers the bathroom door was open halfway. The lights were off. She remembers pushing open the bathroom door and crying out. She remembers turning on the light to find her mother on the floor, her body still. Tia remembers collapsing beside her, shaking her, hoping she had just been too tired and had fallen asleep. She remembers wrapping herself in her mother's embrace, her body limp and cold. She will never forget that cold. Tia wipes the tears off her face and is about to start getting undressed when she gasps at the sight before her. The water coming from the shower isn't water at all. It's blood. And this blood is filling up the tub. Tia quickly fumbles with the shower knob to try and turn it off. The knob won't budge. The bathtub fills up with blood. Tia takes a step back and goes to leave, but the bathroom door slams shut before she can make it out. She frantically turns the knob and pushes against the door, but it's no use. Panic overwhelming her, Tia pounds as hard as she can. Help! Someone, please help me! Kiki, please help! She yells, the blood now spilling over onto the white tiles. Tia screams when she sees the top of her mother's face peeking out from the bathtub at her. She calls out, but she knows whatever is in the tub is not her mother. 
Tia struggles with the door and continues to pound on it, desperate to get away from the horrors unfolding before her. Tia shrieks as a large, bloody wave rises up from the tub and swallows her whole. Tia struggles to breathe. She scrambles hard to get to the top of the blood drowning her. When she finally surfaces, she lets out a... As she chokes and gasps for air. Tia quickly realizes she's no longer in her bathroom. She's outside, in the middle of the lake, off the shores of the beaches by her home. But as she splashes around, she notices the water is still dark red. The entire lake is made of blood. Tia swims to shore, breathing hard while trying not to swallow more blood. The iron taste in her mouth gags her, but she fights to remain calm. When she's able to catch her breath on shore, she howls in pain. She holds up her left foot to examine what poked her. Stuck to the bottom of her foot is an old filthy syringe. Tia inspects her surroundings, and her discovery makes her skin crawl. The beach's sand is littered with needles. There are empty pill bottles scattered about too, as well as actual pills. The more she surveys, the more she realizes there is no sand at all. The ground beneath her feet is primarily full of jagged pills, and the empty bottles and needles are like rocks mixed in with a cocaine white powder. Tia wants to scream, but she's so distraught by the sight before her that she can't utter a sound. Tia closes her eyes. This is just a dream. I'm having a nightmare. Tia pinches herself. She opens her eyes. The bloody lake and pill-filled shore greet her. No... Tia shakes her head, still trying to wake herself up. A shadow looms over her. Quickly, the shadow begins to take human form as it presents itself in front of Tia. Frightened, Tia instinctively turns to run, but the needles and pills tear right through the bottoms of her feet. What do you want? She screams. The human shadow slowly develops distinct human features. Eyes, fingers, hair. As the shadow turns into a human, Tia stares back at it, the recognition evident on her face. Rebecca Lee Crumpler? Tia asks out loud, face to face once again with her longtime idol. Yes and no, the figure replies, the voice harsh and demonic sounding. Tia takes in everything going on around her. The bloody lake causes the sky above to reflect the dark red color. Everything around her looks like it has been infected by this blood. The pills are mostly white, but the occasional blue or yellow pill stands out beneath her feet. The figure remains still, watching Tia grasp the sights around her. Where am I? Tia finally asks. The figure smiles an eerie, toothy grin. Tia starts to back away, but stops herself when she feels the crunch below her. Mm, Such a smart gal. Haven't you figured it out? Tia glares back at the figure posing as her idol. The figure rolls its eyes, and once they're rolled, they turn from human eyes to cold, empty, fully black eyes. Do you think having your friend live with you is going to make any difference? I think we both know that's your desperate attempt to fill the void inside you. Now that mommy's dead, you don't have much going for you, do you? Tia shakes her head, trying to not let this thing get to her. What do you want? Tia asks, frantic and angry, her voice shaky. The figure identical to Rebecca Lee Crumpler, now sporting black demonic eyes, 
studies Tia for what seems like an eternity before responding, You're in hell, and we want you to finish what you started. Why? Tia fires back. This causes the figure to smile, revealing pointed fangs instead of teeth. You are going to kill yourself on the sixth month of the sixth day at the sixth hour. You gave us the gateway, and only you can close it. If you join us now, we'll have mercy on you. Give you the life you know you deserve. The rewards you'll earn from your research will be multiplied as much as you like. There are no boundaries here. But if you continue to live your sad existence, the dead are never going to leave you alone. We are never going to leave you alone. We want your soul, and now's your last chance to choose a side. And if I refuse? Tia asks, feeling confrontational. The figure's gaze shifts to the lake of blood. Tia turns to see what it's staring at. The blood rushes and spurts, creating a wave so massive it appears to go beyond the red sky above. <laughs> I guess I'll find out. It replies before pushing Tia. Tia's body and the lake of blood collide. Tia can't breathe. She struggles until she's coughing up regular water, her clothes and entire being drenched. She sits up. She's back in her bathtub. The water is overflowing onto the floor, and she's freezing cold. She shuts off the water and quickly gets up, wrapping herself in a towel. None of this is real. This can't actually be happening. Hell isn't real, is it? Tia's mind races through all the logical explanations she can think of, but nothing can truly rationalize what occurred today. She calls out to Kiki, needing her friend, but is only greeted by silence. Nestled in miles between Tia's house and Rio's trailer sits the Church of Paul. The Church of Paul is host to a disgraced priest, eager for a greater purpose and to better himself. On the evening of June 6, 2022, Father Paul kneels at the altar in the front of his church, begging for something extraordinary. While he prays, he hears the only unlocked door open and heavy footsteps approach. He finishes his prayer makes the sign of the cross, and stands to look at who has entered his house of God. Father Paul swallows hard at the sight of the small child, whose heavy footsteps do not match his tiny frame, and the shadow that looms over him is clearly unnatural for someone so small. Seeing his fear, the little boy smiles. If I told you, you could save the world. Would you believe me? He asks, his voice deep and powerful. Father Paul's eyes squint, unsure of the question. I'm sorry. I, I don't think I understand. Father Paul replies. The child grins, his mouth revealing teeth that look decayed and rotted. Let me show you something. The boy responds. He waves his tiny arm up and down for a few seconds before making Father Paul experience visions of chaos, terror, and a world depraved of any humanity. The 
Tia and Rio Show is created, written, and produced by Callie Oberlander. Tia is performed by Julie McCormick. Rio and all other voices that are not Tia are performed by Callie Oberlander. Sound design, editing, and music are by Eric Brown. My writing continuity checkers and biggest cheerleaders are Jules Johnson and Hilary Roback. And if you've made it this far, please remember, even in the darkest times, there is always hope. Pocket Podcast Network. Quality programming right to your pocket.